Hello, bonsoir, and welcome to the Get French Football News Show. I'm Nathan Staples, and joining me this evening are Rich Allen, Peter Rutzler, and a special guest for the evening is the returning Eric Devin. An international week already. Well, we've had at least an end of a dramatic transfer window to enjoy as well. So sit back as we chat some moves, some fees, and that Luxembourg result after the latest headlines. France gained four points from two games this week, but not in the order you might have initially thought. Les Bleu dispatched the Netherlands in decisive fashion on Thursday, a 4-0 victory coming courtesy of a Thomas Lamar double. However, things were a little sour in Paris against Luxembourg, as despite hitting 30 more shots than their opponents, they drew nil-nil with the Minnows, who have just collected 24 points from a possible 396 in 132 qualifiers since the 1930s. This is also the first time they've recorded back-to-back clean sheets and amassed the same points as the French this week, so kudos to them. In the under-21s news, Les Espoirs drew 1-1 with Chile last week thanks to Amin Arit's strike and faced Kazakhstan in a qualifier tomorrow. It's not all good news from them and as a youngster RB from RB Leipzig, John Kevin Augustan, was dismissed from the squad at the weekend after an altercation with the manager, Sylvain Ripoll. In transfer news, Kylian Mbappe has finally confirmed as a Paris Saint-Germain player on deadline day, while Thomas Lamar remains at Monaco despite late interest from the Premier League. And that's all for the news, but remember, to stay up to date with your French football news, head on over to our website at www.getfootballnewsfrance.com and follow us on Twitter at GFFN. We start this evening with the craziness of Thursday night as the summer transfer window came to a close. We Let's have a look at that big deal first, at least, and that's Kylian Mbappe finally confirming his move to Paris, Eric. Uh, what do you think to the move? Well, I understand why PSG would want to do this. He's a French-born player, uh, which will obviously continue to build their fan base across the country uh, as, he, as he grows in importance for the national team ahead of the World Cup. But for the money spent and for where he'll be included in the team positionally, and there still remain huge doubts over that for me. I think that we saw yesterday in no uncertain terms that he's not ideally a player who can play on the right. How Emery has to sort that out tactically while keeping a squad of very experienced players happy means that there could potentially be a, a lot of problems resulting from this. I think that it's a good move in that it gives uh, an option as a backup for Cavani. I, I've mentioned that in the past, that black, especially with the sale of Augustin, that not having a second orthodox striker could hinder PSG should Cavani ever be injured, uh, given that he does tend to play pretty much every single match no matter the importance of the competition. Uh, so having Mbappe as a, as a legitimate number nine to back up Cavani, I like the move from that perspective. But given all the players being healthy and fit and, and ready to go, uh, I worry about this move potentially disrupting harmony within the squad when it comes to playing time and, again, also how Emery's going to work things out tactically. So sort of a mixed decision. Can you really pass on the chance to get a player of this caliber, though? I think from PSG's standpoint, the answer has to be no. So even though there are potential problems, it really was a move that they couldn't say no to. Yeah, and that's the thing at the moment, at least, Rich. But this move and the and Neymar move is really 
not soured the league in a sense, but it's it's definitely diluted it a sense of being a Paris Saint-Germain, Saint Germain's world, and we sort of live in it at the moment. But at the same time, I think um, they mentioned on the SPN earlier today that they've not had the greatest of windows overall because they still lack a bit of depth. Um, is that a worry, especially come the Champions League, still, even though they've brought in such a quality player? It has to be. Um, you look at that squad, and there's 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 certainly no argument that the the attack and and, and the players at Emery's disposal there rival you know, rival the very best in Europe. But you look defensively, you know, where's you know if you're fighting on four fronts, two domestic cups, league, Champions League, and you look at that squad, and there's three recognised centre backs. Um, you know, I'm all for squad rotation, keeping players fresh and all that, but that's not enough. That's not enough depth if they were to succeed on the fronts that they want to succeed on. Um, I still think that there's a little bit of a, an issue in midfield as well. On record, numerous times, don't think Thiago Motta offers anything to this team anymore. Um, I think it. Hit, I think it's starting to almost hinder the progression of. Verratti, I think it started to hinder the progression of Rabiot. They needed that, but that was the position. That and the centre-back were the two positions that PSG needed to recruit in. They failed to recruit in. They've gone for the glamour signings of Neymar and Mbappe, who will be on no, there'll be no doubt that there'll be a huge success, but they have missed a glaringly obvious gap in that squad. Uh, and by not recruiting in those particular areas, this transfer window, it does make me ask the question of, are they actually going to get beyond that quarterfinal step in the Champions League? Yeah, and if one of those centre-backs goes down injured, ooh, it's going to be a, a tested time and a midfielder as well, thinking about that in the depth. Um, Peter, let's take more of a positive spin on this. And, and Mbappe's a, a terrific forward. And in all honesty, Paris Saint-Germain did a very good job of convincing him, A, to stay in France, and B, getting this deal done this summer, when if he stayed for another year, it could have been more competitive with maybe Real Madrid, maybe even Barcelona throwing their hat in the ring. Yeah, absolutely. I think with Mbappe, it was a question of getting him in now as, as soon as possible. Um, the, at the start of the summer, um, it looked for all the world that he wasn't going anywhere. Uh, it looked like Monaco had got him lock, stock and barrel staying in, uh, in the principality. But I think, what, like you just said, they had to take advantage of the situation now because of what that could potentially mean later on with, with Real Madrid. Uh, with with Barcelona, of course, potentially looking to take him longer term. Um, I mean, they've done very well in terms of how they've managed to structure the deal to avoid, well, at the moment, it seems they have avoided um, financial fair play re repercussions. But the actual player who they're getting, we, we, he, is a, a, he does appear to be a once-in-a-generation talent. He really is. Um, he was sensational last year, not just in Ligue 1, but also in the Champions League. Um, even when he when he came off the bench against the Netherlands, he he brought something to a game that um, I personally wasn't as impressed with France and against the Netherlands. But when he came on, he brought such a directness. Um, what he's what he's famous for is great close control, his his speed, his his ability in front of goal as well. It's all instinctive, and it, it he's so confident. He it, he takes it all in his stride, and it's not as though even though he's got this now huge transfer fee to arrive next year on his shoulders, that's not going to affect him at all because that's just not the kind of player he is. 
and he is a fantastic asset for them. Um, and making the move this summer was was the best thing for PSG, and they, they they had to, in a sense, they 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 had to do it if they wanted to make sure that they were going to get him, as Eric was saying, as a long term successor to Cavani. So, from that perspective, yeah, he ticks all the boxes, and he will undoubtedly do well at uh, the Parc de Princes. Yeah, and it's a strange deal if it does work out. It's supposedly a loan, but the, there is reports that if there was an automatic fee, it counts towards this year's financial fair play. So therefore, the clause might be at least reported that uh, if the team are relegated, then they they don't have to activate it. But I don't, it's unlikely that Paris Saint-Germain are going to get relegated anytime soon. So a sneaky, sneaky way of trying to skirt those rules again by the, by the Parisians. Let, let's talk about a player who didn't move but was... A numerous different kinds of talks on that final day, Eric. He was going to Liverpool, he was going to Arsenal, he was staying, he was back on at Arsenal. It's Thomas Lamar, and he, it, luckily it didn't really distract him in the international game, at least, and not in the slightest bit. But there was big offers coming in, supposedly. There's reports that Arsenal pulled out in the last minute because, because they thought that they couldn't get the deal done. Lamar has reportedly turned them down, but both have been contested. What do you think to this whole ordeal? Is is it a bit of a shame on Arsenal really to come in this late with this big offer and maybe try to save face? Or do you think it was the right move for Lamar to, to hold put at least for now? Yeah, I think specifically looking at Arsenal, I think with Sanchez staying uh, and Lacazette arriving, Ozil staying, I think that Lamar needs to put himself in a position where he's going to continue to make himself first choice for France ahead of a World Cup. I know that Dimitri Pai is still battling injury, and we don't really know how that's going to shape out for Didier Deschamps, who he's going to operate with on the left going forward. Now, by all means, it should be Lamar, based on the performances he's delivered over the past couple of years with Monaco. But as we all well know, Didier Deschamps has bizarre loyalties, and I think Lamar needs to be in a situation, and that is at Monaco for me, to give Deschamps no pause, to give him no doubt that he is the best left-sided attacker. Now, we saw him drifting inside, uh, throughout much much of both matches uh, this over the weekend, uh, which shows that he can have a, a more creative role in a match and also play out wide. Um, and I, th- I think that he's made the right decision in staying in Monaco. Liverpool, you know, a similar situation, uh, I would worry about him being first choice. Uh, I, I think that he certainly has the talent to make, you know, again, what I think a lot of UK-based fans might want to Assume as a step up, but I would question that in that move as well, and not just because Arsenal in the Europa League. Um, I, I think that Romania and Monaco gives him a better chance at um, at silverware. I think, and I think it gives him a better chance at becoming a prominent player. I think with Bernardo Silva gone, with Kylian Mbappe gone, I think you know as much as we're going to enjoy Falcao's goals, provided he stays fit, knock on wood. I think that we really are going to see. Monaco this year become the team of Tom Alomar. And I, I think that that's the best thing for the player right now. Again, he's still very young. There's no reason the move can't be made next summer. And Monaco could be looking at a fee similar to that paid of Mbappe, especially uh, if Lamar has a strong World Cup, uh, provided France qualify, uh, and that could drive his price even higher. So I think it's a good move uh, for Monaco to resist the overtures of the Premier League and a good move for the player in terms of continuing to keep himself in focus uh, for the national team. Yeah. Rich, we talked about how he possibly fit in at Liverpool and it might be more of a, a central role for him there. Uh, how, how do you see him playing out if he did 
go to Arsenal, would he be a direct replacement to Sanchez or would you see him playing somewhere else? That certainly seemed to be the the speculation that was being done. And you do wonder if, if the, the sort of hold-up, if you like, on that Sanchez deal impacted on the fact that um, they had to come in so late for, for Lamar. Um, I had worries about him going to, to both sides, um, as Eric has pointed out. Um, from an Arsenal perspective, I think it was merely just an expectation point of view. You know, Lacazette has already, you know, gone in there and these expectations have been set so, so high. Lamar's would have only been higher, especially with the, the transfer figure um, mooted for him. Uh, and yeah, for Liverpool, I just didn't know where he was going to play. I asked, I asked Liverpool fans over Twitter and I didn't really seem to get a particularly clear answer. Um, so, I mean, I'm very glad the moves didn't come off. I've no doubt that, that both those sides and maybe more will come back in for him um, in, in in the winter. Um, I think it's already been reported that Liverpool will definitely be coming back for him. Um, but if he, you know, if he can play like he did on um, Thursday night, the, the Netherlands game, it's quite a battle, I think, from some of the uh, the, the real elites around Europe. And Peter, let's round off this with a bit of a, a chat about how good Lamar is, really. I mean, we've not really spoken an enormous amount about it. I mean, there's been skirts and bits, but the, uh, the English fans might not know an enormous amount of him. A little bit of a tease, I suppose, because it's a bit like on Bullseye saying what you could have won. But um, <laughs> what kind of player is Thomas Lamar? Uh, Lamar is... Uh, is a fan- he, he is a that's the best way to put it he's a, he's a quick but creatively uh, adept um, excellent set pieces got excellent delivery um, he likes to come inside he's, he's a sort of player who uh, can play such a he, well he was, he's been essential for Monaco going forward um, especially last season I feel like it's very interesting what Eric was saying about how this this season can become his season where Monaco are Lamar's Lamar's side um and I really think that that could be the case it'd be very interesting to see how he takes on that mantle because he has played an important role for Monaco especially last season um very adept on the left-hand side coming inside um delivering for Mbappe Falcao um but now that they have gone It'll be very interesting to see how much of a role he'll take, how how dominant he'll be, especially centrally, um, and taking and running games. Um, but yeah, I think in terms of his style of play, he's not the, a runner that Liverpool would love, that uh, Liverpool and Klopp um, so desire. He is not. I think if of the two, he would probably fit better into to the way Arsenal play. Um, he's much better uh, in terms of close control. Um, speed of pass um, than he is to necessarily chasing um, uh, in, in, that, in that sense of, of pressing. Um, but yeah, this year's this year is a big year for Lamar. And, I, and as a player, he would be, I think he would have been an asset for either of the two clubs if he had, if he had been able to, to make the move. But yeah, he, we, we'll, you'll hear a lot more of him this year and he'll be a lot more uh, noticeable um, with Mbappe out the side now. Um, and Bernardo Silva, of course. 
Yeah, he'll be that creative influence. I'm going to do some slightly quick fire, at least transfer deadline day deals. I'll send them all different ways and bits like that. So let's let's start with you, Rich, because Bordeaux finally solved their goalkeeper problem by bringing in Nicolas de Preville on deadline day. Um, <laughs> what do you think to the move to the striker to to Bordeaux? They really needed an extra front man, didn't they? Uh, they absolutely did. Brilliant recruit. Um, I, I know yourself are. Uh chairman of the the trivial fan club uh but it was an excellent move it's one that just leaves you scratching your head as to why it was sanctioned from a legal perspective i've seen reports that money was a factor which doesn't particularly bode well at the start of this project if you're having to sell you know your best if not only real sort of goal threats this start of the season um for relatively speaking, quite a small sum. Um, but from Bordeaux's perspective, it was just the kind of player they needed. Um, you know, excellent move for the player. He's going to a club that are going in the right direction, you know, under great, great, great manager. You know, squad that's really starting to look quite good now. So, yeah, yeah for me, top move. Uh, Eric, I, I can't go away without asking you a Leon one, and they really trained traded midfielders at least. Sergio Dardes headed to Espanyol on loan. Uh, Tongi Undombele from Almien has joined on uh, on deadline day. What do you think to those moves? Is that an upgrade or is, is Undombele a, a little bit of a project? Is Darde really not fitting in the way Leon played? What do you think to both of them moving in and out? Oh, I love this move. I love this move, building that perspective. Uh, watched Almien play three of their four matches this season uh, and Undombele has been an absolute terror. I mean, he, he didn't play in the first match of the season, but in each of the last two matches in particular, he's been hugely impressive. Uh, he hit the bar twice against Saint-Étienne and was equally uh, adept last weekend as well. I think this is a player who has great license to get forward. He's great with the ball at his feet, uh, very powerful, compact, good acceleration, uh, makes an excellent partner for Luca Tussar. And he continues with a recent trend that Leon have had at bringing in likes of, uh, likes of Tussar, likes of Maxwell Cornet, uh, Manuel Mana is another one as well. Players that are very young, bringing them in from other clubs rather than relying so heavily on their own academy. I think that Leon have realized that the likes of Vitaliso, Fekir, Lacazette, that's not something they can rely on getting that quality of player year in, year out. So by, by investing in younger players, it's something that we see Monaco do to great effect. I think this is going to allow Leon to have more continuity with their success in terms of a strategy. And I think, yeah, Dardair, you know, I know people were high on him bringing him in. I didn't know much about him. I remember you being very high on him, Nathan. And yeah, he did, he had done well at Malaga, it's true. But yeah, I think good riddance. I think that, especially with Leon moving to this 4 2 3 1, there's not a role for him there. He may be a victim of circumstance. I think he could do better in a 4 3 3. But I think that, yeah, there's no place for him at Leon in that performance against Bordeaux with successive yellow cards really served to hammer that home. Yeah, I really like Undombele from what I've seen as well recently. I, I like, I agree with you, him playing that deeper role with Tucson next to him. I, I, I like how he tries to build play from those sort of areas. So him playing in that two-man midfield will be really interesting and hopefully Darde can impress back in La Liga. Um, Peter, Napoli's Mondi's joined back to Nice. So he's back in Liga after a season away in Leicester that didn't really work out. Injuries were in the way. A number of people have said he wasn't quite that good of as he was in Nice. They'll be happy to have him back, surely. 
Yeah, it's a great deal for Nice. I mean, you sell him for 13 million and then you get him back the following season. So they won't be complaining about that. And he's a really good addition for a Nice side that look a little bit un- unstable at the moment. They don't, they haven't started the season as well as they would have liked. Um, obviously, they, they went out in the Champions League. Obviously, it was a, tough, uh, a tall order overcoming Napoli. Um, but Mendy will be, um, will come back to an environment he'll know well. Um, under Lucien Favre so the setup's right for him it's a good move for him as a player hopefully he can get back to finding the form that that merited the move in the first place um as you said it was injuries and um dislodging um uh, the two central midfielders at Leicester drink water um made it uh meant that a move was warranted I think he was he was wanted by other sides as well um but interesting to call I think Bordeaux and, and Sanitian were looking at him um, but he's he's gone back to Nice and I, hopefully he can pick up um, where he left off um, two seasons ago. Yeah, and I also think that if they can get, well, when they can get Willian Ciprian back, have him in the midfield, have Seri, have Cosiello, they've got options to get in that place and even maybe in January, if they can get a good, decent money for Seri, maybe the blow's a little bit weakened now. They've got Mondi back and maybe Ciprian back by that time. That'd be really nice. Um uh, two moves that really happened in Saint-Etienne on that final day, um, Rich, and that's um, one in, one out again. Uh, Ousmane Tanan's headed to Las Palmas on loan. Remy Cabea's come in from Marseille. What What do you think to those moves for them, for a team that's maybe just need a little bit extra on these? They had three great performances for the start of the season. They were a little bit average against PSG, changed the system a bit. It didn't really work. What do you think to these two players moving in different directions? Uh, it's, a, it's a net gain, I think, for Saint-Étienne. I think Tanan, since he joined, has shown very brief glimpses of what he could offer. Um, it seems he's perhaps been... You know, he certainly clashed, I think, with Galtier um, last season, um, re- resulting in a little little bit of friction. I think it would probably be an understatement. Uh, I thought he was going to get perhaps a bit of a longer opportunity with, with Oscar Garcia coming in. Um, that's obviously not going to happen, but Romy Cabela coming in, brilliant move. I think it's a player that needs um, sort of career getting back on track, I think. You know, everyone saw how good he was at Montpellier. Uh, the move to, to Newcastle didn't work, not to anyone's great surprise. Um, joined Marseille, and yeah, again, sort of fits and starts really with Marseille. So, I'm really hopeful that this move uh, works for both player and and Saint Etienne because it's a real positive move. Uh, it's a bold move. I think it's it's for me. It, it can only it can only end well. Um, so I'm keeping my fingers crossed uh, because I would love to see Cabello back to his very best. Because certainly when he was shown that at Montpellier, he was one of the very best in the league. So yeah, fingers crossed that this is a, a move that works for all parties. Eric, a really interesting one, I thought, especially on the final day, for just €2 million Euros reportedly as well. Thomas Torre heading to Angers, a shrewd little move if, he, if they can keep him fit. Absolutely. I think this is a player who has been looked at over the years as an incredible prospect, but injuries have really derailed his career. I like the move to Angers because they seem to have a fairly settled first-race 11, which will allow Torre to work his way back into match fitness by perhaps spelling Carlton Gokambi at times. Uh, perhaps playing one of those central roles uh, in that 4-1, 4-1 that Andre seemed to be playing. 
So there's a range of options for him positionally, and I think that his spark could, you know, provided he's fit, could be a really nice move for what's becoming increasingly attractive on Jay's side. I think that when they first were promoted under Stéphane Moulin, there was really the idea that with Romain Thomas and, and, uh, and Traore, that Ismail Traore, that they were more of a team that would rely solely on their defense. But I think increasingly they've, they've sought to bring in younger players. We look also at Fulgini and Koulibaly coming in this summer, uh, Enzo Crivelli, a team that's young, dynamic, likes to get forward, uh, but hasn't totally lost their defensive identity. And I think that that solidity behind him will allow Torrey to take risks when he does come on. I think this is a, it's a flyer for the club. They're not going to lose much, $2 million, given the fees that they've received for um, the likes of Pepe in particular this summer. I mean, it's less of a risk for them financially, but could really pay big dividends for them, I think, as you rightly say. Very, very clever move. I really like that one. Maybe my favourite of the window. Um, Peter, this is another interesting one coming out of Lille, really, and heading to Dijon on loan is Xhaka, who joined back in January and he was one of the only real players of those enormous amount that they brought at that time to really settle. And it's seemed a little bit strange that he's already moving out of the door. Yeah, a little bit, but I feel like this may be a result of, of Bielsa's um, shutting the door on a few players and it's probably the best move for him is to get out and get playing because when, when Bielsa shuts the door, you don't get in the first team, essentially. So, yeah, it is a bit of a strange one because he did settle quite quickly after joining in January. Um, I think with the new arrivals that they brought in in midfield, um, Maya Mendes, they they may shun him out. So, um, I think moving to Dijon will give him the chance to play regularly and, and, and come back at the end of the season um, a stronger player for it. So. Yeah, it is, it, is, it is an odd one, but with Bielsa, there seems to be a lot of odd things, so not not all in all surprising. Uh, one final one, really, for you, you, Rich, and it's involving two players that one new club signed, well, Ren signed, one that didn't quite go through and all sorts of strange goings on ended up happening. Uh, Webby Kazri joins on loan, obviously, uh, uh, had a very successful career in Liga, less so in the Premier League, but also Diafra Sacco looked like he was coming then he headed home, we went and watched some horses for a bit and then had a chat with the chairman. A very strange day for him as well. Um, what do you think overall for those two? If they would have gone through the Saka one, would you have been happy as well? Are you happy with Kazri joining? Um, I'm, I'm okay with Kazri joining. I can't say it's a transfer that gets me jumping for joy. Um, but, you know, he's a sound league player. He can bring a bit of creativity, perhaps can bring a bit of a spark, certainly what that team needs. So uh, I'm, I'm remaining on the positive side of sort of, yeah, with that move to put a technical spin on it. Um, Defrasaco would have been a move that I would have I would have liked to have seen. Um, it's been fairly obvious that Ren have been after a, a, a sort of more direct, more... Uh, I suppose a bigger goal threat up front. See CO left in the summer. Um, we've signed a couple of youngsters um, that, that that may do the job. Um, at the minute, sort of Mubele is is square peg round holding it really up front. So Sarko would have been a move to come off. Player wanted to join. Seemed a fee was well a fee was taken a, a fee was was tabled to west ham well known now that the medical had occurred that had all gone through 
but of course means nothing if the other club haven't sanctioned it. So um, yeah, it was a peculiar, peculiar thing. I mean, we've seen it more and more now, where players are sort of taking the law and you like into their own hands when it comes to transfers. So it never seems to end well. It's only going to ruin his whatever chance he had of of getting back in uh, at West Ham. So a bit silly on the players' front to have gone along that far with with West Ham sort of in the dark on that, but. It's it's one of those things. I would like to have seen the move come off. Um, I think he could have done a job for us, but we shall see now. Mm, yeah, and how West Ham handle that now will be interesting thing. And I, I quite like the move of Kazri back to Liga. I think David Moyes didn't really know who he had um, at Sunderland, really, and stuck him out to dry a little bit. I think he, a move back to France might be just the tonic he needs after really impressing at times in, in Bastia and at Bordeaux at least uh, but let's uh, earlier than usual at least anyway um, do some league uh, snapshots and we're going to do a transfer special in a way we're going to pick our winners and losers of the transfer window as well as the best moves and the worst moves each of you three will pick a choice and I'll choose between them so let's start with the team that won the transfer window and I'll send you that way Peter um, <laughs> yes, no, I, I, I'll, I will go with, um, with Monaco for winning the market. So I'm, I may have just undercut Rich with that one, but, um, I think it, on the face of it, you, you would question how on earth they could possibly have won the transfer market when they've lost their best asset. Um, they've lost their second best asset. If you were to take Bernardo Silva as that, um, as well as, as Benjamin Mendy, but and uh, Timu Bakayoko. So not a great start, but then you look at how they've invested and they, they show the likes of, of Marseille how to build a team um, by having the right replacements lined up, um, ready to come in, uh, waiting in the wings. You've got Tielemans who's come in um, in central midfield. George has stepped up at left back. Um you brought they brought in uh, Stefan Jovetic up front, who scored tonight for for Montenegro um, for only ten million pounds. Um, Keita Balde as well from Lazio. Um, they've kept Thomas Lamar and Fabinho as well, um, which I think is 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 crucial for um, well the league as a whole, is, so that Monaco don't suddenly become a a feeder club to PSG um, because that really would be filling a hole in in the PSG. Um, side as we were talking about earlier so they've kept they've sold who they expected to sell with the exception of Mbappe um, for those that have gone they've got exceptional fees Mendy 50 million Bernardo Silva upwards of that um, they've made profit this summer and they've replaced well so for me yeah Monaco have won the window in, in Ligue 1 Rich who do you have? Um I, I, yeah, I agree with Peter on Monaco. I think another team could have had a very, very good window for, for me anyway with Bordeaux. Um, I really like the signings that they've made. Um, the squad looked at what's needed, recruited sensibly. Um, you know, we, we've talked about um, the Preville coming in. Uh, they brought in Costierling Dole. Obviously, I'm a big fan of his. They finally made the use of Sabali loan deal more uh, a permanent one from PSG. You know, really, really strong right back there. Uh, and they brought in one or two other signings as well that I've liked the look of. Um, Alexandra Mendy from Gangon. 
Um, they brought in Jonathan Cafu. They brought they brought in quite a few really really sound players. I think because all adds up to being a a strong stable squad. You know they've they've not done a Lille. They've not gone out and done wholesale recruitment. They've analysed the squad. What needs to be improved? And they've gone out and they've got the deals done. They sold Adam Unas early. He was their one of their sort of star players. Um, they sold him early. They got a you know fairly decent chunk of money for a player who was a bit indifferent last season. And then obviously the big one for, for from from Bordeaux's perspective was they kept hold of Malcolm. That in itself, if you can class it as as, as transfer news, was was one of the the sort of best stories I think for for, for Liga, but especially for Bordeaux. You know, we've seen the start that the players made this season. Um, you know, he was he was very, very good in, in places last season. So the fact that they can keep hold of him, um, you know, with some big name clubs in for him, you know, Dortmund were, were supposedly keeping a close eye on him. Um, yeah, no, I think they've had a really, really strong window and they really now can look and, and focus on a, on a push for... I've gone out on a limb and said they could they could be an outside bet for a top three place, but certainly I think they they are more than capable of getting a top five spot. Eric, who do you think? Uh, as I had previously mentioned, I really like the moves that Angers have made. This is a team that came up uh, again, solidified themselves in the league with a uh, got the league uh, defense final last season based on around a rather defensive identity. Uh, based on physicality, the likes of Sheikh Ndoy and from Diadu. In the recent past, they all both of those players left along with Nicola Pepe. They got decent fees for Diadu and Pepe, and I think they've reinvested that money very wisely in sustainable young players. Uh, we mentioned Torre already, but Enzo Crivelli was uh, a bit erratic in terms of his injury and injury form uh, with Bastia on loan from Bordeaux last season, but uh, he's a big physical presence that really – it's a great spearhead for that that side. Uh, Angelo Fulgini is an under-21 international they picked up from Valenciennes. Uh, he's usually been used as a central midfielder, but he's been played wide on the right so far this season, and I think has really taken to that role as well. Uh, Baptiste Guillaume, late of Lille, provide competition for Crivelli. He's been a highly thought-of player at times, even though he's flattered to deceive, particularly when he initially had arrived at Lille. But I think he's still young enough to redeem himself. Uh, and Lasana Koulibaly as well has looked really, really good. Another player that had been in Bordeaux last season, or sorry, at Bastia last season, uh, brought in permanently as a central midfielder, and he looks really good as well. Uh, you add this to the likes of Baptiste Sensamaria and Carl Tokuakambi, two younger players they already had, and this team has really made, remade itself comprehensively. Again, you know, I know that that back four, uh, Andrea Manso, uh, Traore, and Toma aren't super young, but uh, the freedom that you're going to see, freedom of expression you're going to see from that front six, uh, I think is going to make Angers a really exciting team to watch. We've seen that already in the matches that they've played. Uh, they're unbeaten. Yes, three of those are draws, but I think that they're going to be a, a good proposition this year. And Europe might be a stretch given the investment that some other clubs have made, but I think they're going to be the very least a club that is going to be more eye-catching and their matches will be worth worth watching any given weekend. So, uh, kudos to Angers for having a rather under the radar, uh, good churn of players, and for getting a good price for Nicolas Pepe, who I will reiterate once again, I really don't rate and really don't see why he was worth that amount of money to Lille. Mm, you've all made a very compelling argument there, and I think Eric makes some good points. I think Thomas Torre might be the, the secret budget signing of the season, but 
I'm going to go with Peter's choice. I'm going to go with Monaco. Um, they've been the masters really of this in the past. They, I thought they lost a lot of players two years ago and they went on to do much greater things than I even anticipated. So why not again? There's some really terrific players in that, especially Tielemans. And I think George has been excellent to start the season as well. well I, I've completely forgotten about Mendy. He's been that good almost. And uh, then you add in Moutinho improving as well. And then you add in, I really think Keita Balde will be a great little signing as well for them to sneak in just before the uh, the end of the window. I, I think he, that was a really, really excellent move to try and replace Mbappe. Um, him and Falcao might be really, really entertaining to watch at times. We'll see how that unfolds. Let's go for the losers of this transfer window. And I'm going to start with you, Rich, this time. Who's your loser of the transfer window? Uh, I had a trio of teams, but in the end, I've gone for Lille. Um, it's all just too confusing. I really don't know what's going on there. They, they've they spent, you know, for, for, for what, you know, for what, for what, uh, the amount they spent, that's a heck of a chunk for a league on side. I know that, you know, one of these sort of, uh, teams that have had the benefit of new investment coming in, but they've spent a lot of money. They've brought in a huge number of players. Um, it's just a project that seems to be muddled. I don't think coach knows what he's doing. Don't think players know what they're doing. Don't think board know what's going on. Um, and for so many players to have been signed in one window, for so many senior players to have been frozen out or just gotten rid of, it just all to me. It just spells. It just spells disaster for me, and I really, really struggle to see what's going on here. I'm, I'm more than happy to be proved wrong, you know, when we look at you know mid-season review or end-of-season review, and you know Bielsa's got them in the top three. But I can't see how this team are going to achieve that. I can't see how this team are going to achieve a top six spot, let alone a you know a top three spot. So for me, they've they've just they've gone about this this new project and, and especially then in this transfer window all wrong um they needed to look at the squad they needed to recruit well and it seems that bielsa's just gone out and just said i just want all these players i want all these young players a lot of them haven't been proven yet a lot of them are you know very good prospects but as we saw with monaco that that project works once you've made that initial wise if you like investment that monaco made and this is this is not Monaco. This is Lille, uh, and for me, it's a very confusing project and some rather unwise transfer dealings. Eric, who do you think's lost this transfer window? As a team, I think Toulouse. I think that they got a great price for Martin Braithwaite, but I think letting Oscar Trejo go on a free has really robbed them of a lot of creativity. They brought in some intriguing players. I think that we, we can look at the loan signs of Embula. Uh, and Gradel from England is both having a potential to, to really get back up to the level that we've seen at them in their best a few seasons ago in Liga. But I really think that this team now has an imbalance of too many strikers, too many defenders, but not enough players who can carry the ball and provide that, that drive and that dynamism in midfield. Um, the only si midfield sign they really made was Yannick Kozak, Kalazak, and Mbula. Along with Mbula, I... I just really have to question uh, Toulouse with this strong up-and-coming defense. We look at Issa Diop, Christopher Julian, and Abel Lafont, uh, the, the right-back Amiens as well. 
I really think there's a lot of good things to be said for that defense, but I don't know that there's enough to put Toulouse at the fringes of Europe, which is really where I think they should be, given the quality that they have up front uh, with Delore and given, and given how solid that defense can be on its day. Uh, I just think that it's, it's really a disservice to the players. If, if Gradel and, and Bula come off the way they, the way they could, maybe this will look better, but I think that, I don't know, I, I just feel like for the level of that, def- that defense, uh, Bordeaux should be top six contenders uh, as they were for much of the beginning of last season before falling away. And I don't think that they've put themselves in a situation to make that a reality, unfortunately. Peter, who's your choice? Um, it's it's got to be Marseille. I mean, I was gonna I was gonna suggest Mets as a as a uh, sort of left field choice, having lost Diabate and Saar, and then just not really spent the money at all. Splashed five hundred grand on on Mister Drought, that is Emmanuel Riviera, hasn't scored for three years. Um, but no, it's got to be Marseille. I mean, the. <laughs> Frank McCall wants to to build a team, um, the Champions Project, and it it seems like they've invested in players that you, you don't really build from. Um, you're looking at the, the players they brought in. They brought in Mondanda, yes, but obviously sentimentally made sense, but age-wise, it really doesn't. Um, Rami is getting on. He's the later side of twi- in his 20s. Um, Mitroglu's come in. I mean, he's done well for Benfica, that has to be said, but he's not going to solve the, the issues up front, I don't think. And he's, <laughs> he's been the subject of, of a number of big money moves throughout his career, and this is just going to be a latest number that's just going to accumulate the fees and not accumulate the goals, unfortunately. Um, Abdenor, they brought in on loan, again, later 20s, uh, 30s, sorry. Um, is he going to solve plug the, the hole that was ruthlessly exposed by Monaco? I don't, I don't think so. Um, Tovan was good, a good a good addition, um, making that permanent. And G looks like he's going to settle well as well. So there are some signs, but the only real player who seems to have some kind of well, and Valerjaman, of course, um, that looked like they were looking to build was was Amavi, but he's he's back up to to Evra or or a left midfielder in uh, in some a certain uh, decision making. So. Yeah, for me, it's Marseille. I think they, they, they've spent money, they've spent too much money, and they've spent it on the wrong type of player. Mm. I'm going to go with Richard's choice, I think, on this one. I think there's all great arguments to all three of those. But Lille, uh, uh, I agree with you, Rich. I have absolutely no idea what's going on there. They're going left, right, and centre. Let's pick the two best players from the second half of last season. Let's throw them away. Let's sign about 20 players. Let's throw them all at the wall and let's see which ones stick for the summer and pray that to Lord of uh, El Loco that we that we stay in this league. But El Loco it has certainly been in the north of France, it seems to be, in the moment at least anyway. Um, let's talk about some of the best moves then of the summer. So I'll, I'll do this one a little bit more quickly and we'll, we'll start with you, Eric. What's the best move you've seen this summer? Oh, I think Cyprian Tato Rosano for, for not. I know that seems silly to say, but... This play, this guy looks like he could be the best goalkeeper in the game this season. He's been absolutely phenomenal since being handed the starting role at Nantes. Uh, he's kept them from being bottom of the league. One goal scored, but they still have four points as a result to face heroics. Uh, I know that there may be more obvious choices, but I think that in terms of value for money, this is a player who was starting for Fiorentina, getting him into the Nakasage of the Europa League in the top four in Italy. 
for not to sign a player of his level on his form uh, is, is a real coup. I think that's really impressive, and I think he'll likely be the difference for relegation uh, or not for not this season. Peter? Kate Balde. Um, I think that was a huge coup for Monaco. Um, 25 million euros, it's rumored, it's undisclosed, but it's around about that mark. And that is a fantastic fee for a player who scored 16 goals in Serie A last season. He's only 22. He's at the upper end of, uh, of, of players creating chances in, in Italy last season. Monaco is the perfect club for him to develop. Um, I think that was really astute business from Monaco, again, showing how, how good they are at bringing replacements for their top talents. Rich? Um, we've mentioned him already tonight, Nampalis Mendy for me. Um, really, really solid sign from uh, from Nice. They know what obviously they obviously know what they're getting from him. Um, he was part of everything that was good about Nice a couple of seasons ago when they got that slightly surprising fourth place finish. Um, with uh, that mid that midfield trio of him, Seri, and and Coziello, as it was back then, one of the best midfield trios in in the league. So. I'm really looking forward to his return, and fingers crossed, um, his return can also signal then um, Coziello rediscovering that form that made him such a a wonderful player to watch a couple of seasons ago. Absolutely, all three of you have chosen very good ones, and I've already mentioned how much I like the kid to Balde move, but I, I did like at the time. I think Eric's on the money with Tatarasano. I think he's an excellent goalkeeper and a place that not have seemed to struggle with, with Remy Rio and others in the last year or so. They've not been great. They've been inconsistent. I think he's a fantastic goalkeeper to have, and hopefully they can start a revolution under Ranieri on, with him in goal, but on the rest of the squad, it looks unlikely at least anyway. Uh, worst transfers. Let's go with you first, Peter. What's the worst transfers? Uh, I'm going to go with PSG selling Matuidi. I know that's... It, it, obviously, it's come to the end of his time. They want to move players on and they need the money. That's that's all well and, all well and good. But you don't sell someone if you don't have anyone waiting in the wings set to come in. And, and they thought they had Fabinho and it was the door was shut on them and they got no one else in. And we've talked about already how PSG squad is not uh, as fully developed as it will need to be, especially if they want to go further in the Champions League. And you can't be reliant on Thiago Motta as your defensive shield. Not saying that Matuidi is the out-and-out defensive player, but the lack of options in the centre of the park is worrying. And even though they got some money for him, I think selling him on, in footballing terms uh, was a very poor decision. Rich? Um, I was tempted to say Mbappe from a league perspective, but uh, I don't think many would agree. Uh, for me, Abdenor uh, to Marseille, they desperately need some quality defenders. Um, that's been clear now for a couple of seasons. Um, uh, and it's it's become even more apparent start of this season. Rami was not the answer. Abdenor is an even, even bigger step away from whatever the, the right answer is. It, it seems such a strange move. And sort of is a move, I think, that sums up this champion's project for Marseille. It's signing people that play, you know, the, the crowd and fans may have heard of, without actually thinking as part of a project. Uh, you know, Abdenor is not the answer to a champion's project centre of defence. So strange move, wrong move, and a move that could really backfire. Eric? I'm going to keep hammering Marseille here along with Rich uh, Mitroglou. Uh, I know the player's knee injury cast a shadow over his time at Fulham, but the fact of the matter is, despite his decent record at Benfica, this is a player who's always worked better in a 4-4-2. Are Monaco going to switch to that system just to privilege him? It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I don't see him 
having the mobility to play in a 4-3-3 um, and a 4-4-2 would also mean that if you start Gustavo, one of Sanson, Zambo, and Guisa, and Lopez, only one of those three would be would see regular match time. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me tactically, uh, especially for the fee, uh, which I think is somewhere in the neighborhood of 18 million pounds. Really, really a bizarre signing for me. Yes, he ain't not a striker. Um, I don't think Petroglu is that signing. Mm, yeah, that, you all three of you make excellent points. Peter, you make an excellent point that that really thins an already thin PSG midfield. Rich, I'm not the biggest fan of Abdenor anymore. I used to like, I thought he was an impressive defender when he was back in Ligue 1, but he's really, really struggled at Valencia. And I fear that him, the game might have passed him by now. He's in his 30s as well. And I'm going to side with Eric, though. I, I think Juan Matroglu scored a fair amount of goals in Benfica, and he did in the past in Olympiacos. Knee injuries and form, he struggled at Fulham. I just can't see him scoring enough goals for a team that need desperately for a, for a strong forward to really push for their Champions League place. I, I don't see it. Yeah, he's still injured right now. As an aside, he hasn't played yet for Benfica this season, <laughs> which is perfect, isn't it? It's almost peak Marseille, I think, at least in this window. At least, uh, let's talk about the French team. At least that have played twice this week. And uh, if you've ever watched France, you know there will be up and downs. And what a perfect week to say that. At least, let's start very quickly positively with that game against the Netherlands. Rich, they looked a little scary that night going forward, and especially at the end, didn't they? Um, it was everything that we wanted to see, I think, from a uh, from from the French side. You know, free-flowing, attacking, confident, uh, no-fear football. Um, I think they were helped by a very timid Dutch side who really just allowed France to come at them. Um, and, you know, when you've got the likes of, of Thomas Lamar, when you've got the likes of Kylian Mbappe, um, if, if you're going to adopt that tactic, then you're asking for trouble, and, and trouble was exactly what they got. Um, I, for, for, for all the, the negatives, which I'm sure we'll come on to about the the, the, the latter um, result, it, it was it was the same. It was everything that we wanted to see from a France performance: the confidence, the the willingness for players to attack. Um, yeah, a real, real standout performance. Peter, I know you mentioned that you weren't that impressed by Holland on the night. Was this more of a case of France being superior or was it more of a case of the, the Dutch being so poor at the moment? They really do seem like um, a leaderless uh, team that's teetering on the edge, really, because they, everything goes on, everyone goes on about how they're, they're relying on their old guard that really are very old. Um, but it's it's very, very true. They, they haven't got the, the young players coming through. They, they do have a a small, a relative spine. I mean, you've got Van Dijk obviously wasn't available um, due to his exile at Southampton. Um, you've got Wijnaldum in the middle and, and Strootman as well. He, he got sent off in the game and that I thought it was a very, very harsh second yellow card. Um, they just, they offered nothing. They offered absolutely nothing in the game. They, they didn't really pose any threat to France until they had a man sent off. Um, then Robin missed that fantastic chance when they went 1-0 down. To bring things level, um, is it a question of Holland being really bad? I think France really could have torn them apart, and I think this this played over into the Luxembourg game in that when they got into the final third, France they weren't able to create clear cut chances until much later on in the game, when you had the Dutch tiring and you had ten men to play against. Um, we'll talk about the Luxembourg Luxembourg game in a minute, 
anyway, but I thought Kazara at left back was pretty much useless going forward on the left hand side. He gets in the areas, but has no end product whatsoever. Komen on the right was also equally incapable of finding his man. Brilliant at beating a player, one on one. One of the best in the game at doing that. But when it came to the final ball, it was lacking. Um, I think against a tougher opponent that night, it, would, it wouldn't have resulted in a 4 result by any stretch of the imagination. And, and I think the Dutch will be frustrated that... Well, I think the Dutch will be frustrated. I mean, they offered up... They, they, they had no direction in their side. It seemed like they, they were incapable of creating anything. I mean, Schneider was hauled off at half-time. That would be worrying for Nice fans because he was completely absent in the game. Um, and I don't see it as being a question of France neutralising the, the, the Netherlands. Certainly not. I think the Netherlands just offered nothing. Um, but the, I think there were some signs in that game before they, they ran riot towards, towards the end of it um, that France need to be more, more uh, ruthless, I think, in front of goal. Um, and that obviously played over into the Luxembourg game. Eric, very quickly on that Dutch game, there was one man really that would stood out and unsurprisingly on a day where he's talked about so much, trust him to put it all behind him. And Thomas Lamar really, um, at times at least, took this game by the scruff of the neck and, and was the attacking impetus that uh, that France needed. Yeah, absolutely. I think that he's a left-sided player that France should have been playing for at least a year now. I think that Dimitri Payet deserves plaudits for his Euro heroics uh, dating back to a year now, but I think that his initial spell, his, sorry, the start to last season at West Ham and the way he tailed off at Marseille, I mean, he's no longer ideal. And Lamar, yeah, absolutely took the game by the scruff of the neck, you know, all over the pitch, creativity, directness, uh, always seeming to bring in what the situation needed. Again, Peter spoke earlier about how he's a very versatile player, able to adapt his style uh, to what's required. We saw that again yesterday to some extent, maybe to less success. We'll get on to that. But um, I think he's a player who is, has, has, is and has been willing to put his head down and work and do what's best for the side. And I think that when he's really on form the way that he, he was um, last week, it's, it's really a thrill to watch. And I think we should expect to see more of that this season. Again, uh, really glad Lamar stayed at Monaco. Um, he's only going to improve on these perform- on well, at least on that first performance. Uh, and make that more more of the norm. This is a player we're gonna, we're going to speak about on the global stage, just as just as much as we speak about the likes of Bernardo Silva and the likes of Kylian Mbappe in the months to come. Yeah, I still, if I was Lacazette for that second goal, I would have absolutely tore him a new one. I, he's had to he's had to literally try and stop Lacazette scoring for to get his second of the game. But never mind, that might be the striker's selfishness. Let's move on to that Luxembourg game then and. Rich, was it more unlucky or against that kind of calibre of opponent? You should be doing better. Um, it was a freak result, wasn't it, really? I mean, it, it felt like there wasn't a great deal more France could have done. Um, a sort of combination of circumstances just went against them. Um, you know, you look at Luxembourg, Joubert and Goal had, I can't say I'm a keen follower of his career, but... It seems to be the game of his life. Um, you know, even when he was sort of dropping things, they was, he was still able to, to sort of gather the loose ball, was saving everything. When he wasn't saving it, it was hitting the woodwork. When it wasn't hitting the woodwork and he wasn't saving it, it was being cleared off the line. Um, 
players were hurling themselves in front of the ball like I've not seen in a long time. I mean, it was incredibly disorganised, but worked masterfully well from Luxembourg. And so for that, you can give them nothing but credit. And the fact that they could have actually even snatched all three points late on um, when Rodriguez broke away far, far too easily from Kachelny uh, and hit the post. Um, I mean, that would have been something. But France just just ran out of ideas, really. I mean, it didn't seem like they could work out how to break down a team who were just going to seemingly camp out in their own penalty area, let alone their own half. Um, they seemed rushed. They seemed panicked. That only got worse as the time went on. Um, Kazawa had one of the worst games, certainly I've seen from him, and, and arguably that I've seen from a France fullback in many years. Um, from a, For a player who certainly back in his Monaco days and his early PSG days, thrived on going forward. He offered nothing. He was getting forward. His, his crossing and his passing were diabolical. Um, you know, when, when, when CDB is looking the better fullback um, on the international stage, you know you've not had a particularly good game. Um, so there were, you know, France were hugely disappointing. You know, let's not hide that. But this was a, an extraordinary Luxembourg performance, the like of which, you know, they, they, they will rarely see again. So I think nil-nil, it's not a good result. There's no hiding behind that. It's not a good performance from the players. It's not a good performance from Deschamps. But there is a quite a significant caveat on that, I think, with, with the performance of Luxembourg. Peter, who across these two games really, and I'm obviously focusing a bit more on the Luxembourg one, really, really struggled. Richard's pulled out Kazar and you have a, all three of you had a bit one moment for not really performing particularly well. Is it just him that didn't really live up to standards, especially in that second game? I think in the second game, you could pull out a, a number of different players who, who weren't up to their normal level. I think Griezmann could be one. He missed a couple of great chances that normally on another day, I, he would stick away. His right foot was not not playing to tune um, at all. Um, Pogba had a frustrating evening, but then again, a couple of inches to the left and he's, he's or below the bar, then he, he's grabbed a couple of goals. So there are a number of, I think, uh, foot players you could pull out. And I think I do agree with Rich though on Kazar. I don't understand. I, I look, you look at the France team and you just think you should just do away with fullbacks altogether, really, um, and go to a back three. I mean, they've got the players to do that. Um, but obviously this is Didier Deschamps, so we can't be hoping for that. So, but yeah, no. I, if I were to pull some other ones out, I, th I think I would probably go with with, with Griezmann. Um, I thought Mbappe did well. He was a he was a real threat. Um, Giroud was a bit an anonymous, but um, but yeah, I mean, I, I mean, you can't. I think collectively you've, you've got to look at yourselves if you're not beating Luxembourg, no, no matter how well they played, no matter how heroic the keeper was. At the end of the day, you've got to beat them. I mean, they had the chances. Um, it wasn't as though they didn't create anything. Compared to the Netherlands game, I think that was a, it was a step up because in the Netherlands game, it was about not really creating the openings until late on against Luxembourg. They created them. They just didn't finish them. So I guess with that in mind, you've got to lay the blame at the, at the door of the forward. So Giroud and Griezmann for me. Um, must bear the brunt, really. Eric, who impressed you over the course of these two games and has probably cemented their, their spot in the squad at the moment? Well, I think we obviously have to look at 
at Thomas Lamar. I mean, I think that he was never a doubt to be in the squad, but I think any argument that could, could have been made for him starting over Dimitri Payet has to be gone by the wayside now. Uh, I think Ngolo Kante impressed me as well. I don't, again, his place was never in doubt, but I think that I think that we saw more for him as being more of a box box midfielder. Uh, we we'd seen him in sort of a quasi attacking role uh, for Chelsea uh, recently, and I think that he's sort of taken more of that on. He's shown an improved range of passing um, and an ability to link play, and I, I think that he's developing. You know, I know we we praise his energy and his, his work ethic, but I think he's also quietly become uh, rather a more complete midfielder. I think that he's another player who should uh, not hold his head to let his head sink too high. But the one thing that I want to, I wouldn't want to throw this here to both of you guys quickly. I know we're running short on time, Peter and, and Rich. Do you think that there's anything to be said, and this is Leon fan perspective, to giving Nabil Fekir more of an opportunity uh, with the form that he's shown for Leon in the season's early going, especially needing a goal late on against Luxembourg. I know he came on, but should he, should he have been first call from the bench? Uh, from my perspective, yes. I think as soon as it sort of hit the hour mark and they were you know, clearly struggling to break down uh, the Luxembourg side, for me, and Kante's uh, role sort of almost became redundant. It was a case of they need to win, the defence doesn't necessarily need the shielding. Um, you know, Kante was a was one of their better players, but the role, his role, I don't think was needed when you know when it hit that hour mark. So, for me, and I think I said at the time, Fekir, yeah, definitely should have been called upon earlier than he was. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. Certainly, um, especially regarding Kante's role, um, I think you want someone who can unpick the lock and, and Fakir is that player and he, he has been excellent for Leon so far this season. He really has stepped up to a whole new level since um, Genesio has given him the, the captaincy. So first choice from the bench, yes. Um, I mean, the options France now have is is extraordinary. So, I mean, you've, you've got players like Lacazette and you've got others to come back later as well. So if we're looking longer term, it's you've got Martial, you've got potentially, uh, if you can get in the squad. Uh, Dembele, of course. So, first choice from the bench potentially. Um, but if he keeps doing what he's doing for for Leon, um, it becomes harder and harder to argue against that for sure. But yes, definitely over the over the weekend, he should have been. Yeah, and it stays close in that group with two qualifiers to go. Very important that they uh, they do well in a month's time, at least. Anyway, that'd be that'd be for sure. Let's finish very quickly on a, on a couple of questions. Uh, apologies to anyone who's got them in and I don't read out this week. I will save them for next week. So don't worry about that. Um, I'm going to pick this one out from the Australian OL fan for you, Eric, with you being in here with two wins and dr- two draws, uh, varying displays of attacking and defensive quality. How would you assess the level of the new look Leon so far? I'm very optimistic. I think that the, the players they brought in have looked great. Marcelo in particular, I think he could be one of the signs of the season. Uh, very accomplished defender, good mobility. It looks like he's pairing well with Morel. Uh, and I think the the, the, the adding uh, the young young player from Celta, Diop, and and Dumbele to give them more options in central midfield. But this team is younger; it's more cohesive. Uh, and I think that having less of a disparity among the among the amongst the players, you have more experienced players that have gone along. Uh, like a Raphael, uh, th- their roles in the team begin to diminish. As we've seen Kenny Tet sort of right back, for example. Uh, I think that that's, that's going to make 
make for more harmony in the squad and, and also the style that Genesis has them playing is going to make them want to work for each other. They're, they play open, exciting, attacking football. Sometimes that can bite them as it did against Bordeaux, but I think that Leon evincing this new level of positivity uh, centered around youth are going to be as good as we've seen them, uh, perhaps going back to 14-15 when they had uh, NG, Lacazette, and Fakir up top. Mm. Inciting things ahead. One last one, at least. I'll throw this one to you, Rich, uh, from Scouted Football. If you've not followed them before, follow them. They're an excellent uh, little read. Um, what has been the catalyst for Malcolm ob- absolutely going off, at least, this season so far? Um, I think it's just the confidence that, that Gorvanek has installed in him, I think. I think he's made it quite clear that he is the man of the team. Um, I think Adam Unas at times maybe. Um, took a little bit of that spotlight last season. I mean, we certainly saw plenty um, of what Malcolm can offer, but he's very much now the player of this team. You know, he's, he's the player that they will centre everything round. He's the go-to man for goals, go-to man for D. Um, so for me, I think a huge amount of credit for how well Malcolm has started this season has to go to Gorvanek uh, and the way he's been managed um, over the summer. Um, They've managed to keep him focused on his football whilst there's been a lot of transfer speculation around him. He seems entirely, you know, the board obviously been very clear we want to keep him. Gorvanek has been very clear we want to keep him. And they've managed to keep him focused as well. And he seems quite happy to stay as well. That's the key, is that we've seen it numerous times. You know, players will get distracted by a transfer. Although the board is saying he's staying, that player notes that, becomes a little unhappy, affects his game. Malcolm has done very well to remain focused on his on his uh, performances on the pitch. Um, so it's going to be great to see what he can do with uh, with what I've mentioned earlier. Is is looking a pretty good Bordeaux squad. Yeah, and I think that Leon game really ent- um, epitomised it as well. He clearly feels like he's definitely the man for that team. We'll finish on one last question, and it's for me from our friend uh, Peter Bowler. He's asked if uh, I still think Thiago Mata has had it. Well, I'll leave you on this. If he hasn't already the- before this season, with just three midfielders pretty much and no cover, he will definitely have had it by the end of this season, I think. Um, that's all that we have time for. My thanks to Rich, Peter, Eric and all of you listening at home. Join us for the preview show on Thursday and main show will be back here at the same time, same place next week. Abianto and goodbye.